Yo Kratom, $6 kilo sheath underwear. Do you use promo code RIM and get 20% off? That's it. I'm not doing show intros anymore, so we're just going to get right into sponsors. Remember that. Yo Kratom, $6 kilos and sheath underwear, 20% off. No, I didn't get the uh, promo code in. Let's try that once more. You ready? Yo Kratom, home of the $6 kilos and you use uh, promo code RIM on sheath underwear, you'll get 20% off. It's like the old uh, Crazy Eddie commercials where uh, if you don't get down there yesterday, you're losing money because the guy's so crazy with his prices. You wouldn't believe how crazy he is. He went to a mental institution and then he broke out just so he could open up an electronics store and give you prices where he would lose money. So you better get there before he decides to stop losing the money. All right, let's get into the news because I've already plugged the sponsors and I'm not doing introductions anymore. So we might as well just get right into the news and uh, I'm going to highlight a couple quick news stories and then I got an excellent episode with Ryan Ray from the uh, War Room. So stay tuned for that. First news story, you guys see that article about the uh, BLM lady? Lady, she's in charge of BLM. She's buying herself a million-dollar home in an all-white neighborhood. And uh, I'm thinking it's time to switch teams. I hadn't realized how lucrative being a socialist was. I'm telling you, next week, I'm bringing on another Bitcoin episode, and then you're going to tune in. I'm going full heel. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a full episode on socialism uh, because that's where the money is, and I, I'm into providing the market with what the market's looking for, and if all of the interest right now is in socialism and that's where the money it is, then me, as a good capitalist, I just like to get the market what the market's looking for, so... That's it. You guys have two more weeks to enjoy the Run Your Mouth podcast as it was. And then um, and then I'm going full socialist. I'm going to just watch a lot of Bernie Sanders, try and get down some of the talking points. The, the earth that's going to die. It's got one more week. Uh, your, your grandmother, she's uh, she's sick and no, no one's going to give her health care. You're going to have to ship her to Norway, pretend like she was a citizen because that's where they, they, they treat the old people over here. We just leave them to die. And it's not good. No one, no one likes death. It, it's not, it's not a part of life. We need the healthcare to, to be, to keep people alive long enough so that they can see it when the planet explodes because it's overheating. And no one else cares about the heating. I'm a Jew. I get cold in the winter. I care about heat, but not too much heat. If the, if the world gets too hot, we're all gonna have a problem. You see, I'm just going to listen to enough Bernie Sanders. I'll get it down. I get it. It's just, you know, billionaires are a problem. Uh, healthcare should be free. There's really only three or four talking points I'm going to have to memorize. And then I get out there. I say, uh, you know, people matter. Next thing you know, I can buy myself a nice house and move out of my apartment that constantly smells like Domino's and makes me fat because you smell the smell of pizza all the time. Haven't actually eaten, uh, eaten Domino's in a while. Maybe tonight will be the night, you know, uh, and in other positive news, you know, for people who might be looking at what's going on in the world, you're thinking the American dream is dead. Uh, there isn't really opportunity. And I'm here to tell you that if you reach a level where you get to be wealthy enough, your kid to, can do crack in this country. Your kid to, can do crack. He can get himself nice teeth. He can bang hookers. He can he can be wedding strippers and having like 14 illegitimate kids. He can pretend like he didn't. He doesn't even remember the illegitimate kids. He can uh, wait for. Uh, for someone to die so that, you know, he can marry his own brothers. Uh, um, uh, it's basically, and then when you recover from the whole thing, you can write a textbook about how to do crack. It's the most shameless thing ever. There's no lesson here. If anything, you'd say, uh, you know, the president, he's supposed to serve as an example and they, why aren't they, they should probably just, I mean, if this guy's so compassionate, he should probably let everyone who's in jail for crack out. I mean, 
He's got people, he's the head of a system that's got people in jail for something that he had compassionate towards his kid for, where's all that compassion? If you've got all this compassionate for drug usage, let's let all these druggies out of jail. What are you keeping them in jail for? What are you doing? I thought you're Mr. Compassionate here. How do you, and when you write a book, you're, you're just reliving it. You know, you're not, you, you haven't moved on. It's just a different side of having the same relationship. And don't pretend for one second that you're not proud of that thick hog and the fact that you did crack for all those years. I mean, it's cool life. You lived a good life. You wore nice sunglasses. You had sex with a lot of hookers. You took pictures and scarves showing off your big old dick. And then your dad became president. You got to write a book about it for a shit ton of money and collect all those fees. Uh, I'm doing it. I'm doing it wrong in life. You know, I needed a dad who was a president or I should have gone into the socialist thing earlier. Uh, speaking of Biden, the man, he still hasn't uh, visited the border. Uh, he doesn't really want to deal with the immigration plan, but that's, he doesn't have time. He's visiting the printing presses just to make sure that these things can run at super capacity. He's got a, he's installing like a NOS button into the printing press. He's showing up there with Adderall, making sure that everyone's working there is going to be high speed. Here's the newest plans. He got 1.9 trillion, which he already passed for COVID-19 stimulus. Now he's got another 1.5 trillion that he wants for education, housing, and climate change. 2.3 trillion uh, for infrastructure. And so I'm working on my plan to figure out what else you can do with currency. Fire starters, maybe wallpaper. We, we can bookmark things. I don't know. Email me, robsnewsroom at gmail.com. If you've got ideas for what you can do with currency, uh, it's not going to be worth much. And I mean, Biden, he's going for, this has to be a first year record for presidential spending. I don't think anyone's ever done anything like this. Correct me if I'm wrong. Robsnewsroom at gmail.com. And of course, if you're looking for something to do with your currency while it still has value, yokratum.com, the best hedge of against inflation. You get an entire kilo for just $60. And when everything goes to shit, you know, you can, uh, um, you can probably get Hunter Biden because he's going to be looking for crack. He's not going to find it. And you could be like, dude, I stocked up on Yokratum. I can help you out. All right, Matt Gates. you guys following that news story? The problem for that guy is he just looks guilty. Like, it doesn't matter what he does. He just, like, sometimes I even agree with him, but he's such a douche that, like, if he's talking about something I agree with, I'm going to second-guess myself. Like, if he was out there saying, hey, we got to end the Fed, I'm like, uh, maybe maybe we should have more Fed. Maybe the, maybe the Fed's a good thing. He just... You know what's funny, but like when you get a douchey enough character, even if you're right about stuff, it just if if like if you're too much of a heel, everyone's like we just got like Martin Screlly. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that name correctly. He had that problem where I actually think he was uh pretty smart, and I, I bet he could have solved Corona for us. You know, he's like that villain that they that they got to let out of jail. <laughs> You know, that always happens in movies like uh, the X-Men. They got to go visit Magneto because he's the only one who can help them with this particular job. I thought Martin Shkreli was going to be that with the coronavirus and getting pharmaceuticals uh, to market. Uh, all right. And speaking of pharmaceuticals going to market, Johnson & Johnson, they had to close uh, two sites. People were fainting. Some people were going to the hospital. Uh, of course, you know, the official response of the government are just that vaccines are safe and effective and they're going to solve all the world's problems. And whoever's uh, like in government who just has this one talking line, you know, they just get the official narrative out there. It doesn't matter what happens. People's heads are exploding and they're like, listen, vaccines are effective. People's legs are falling off. These things are effective. People end up with clubbed feet and, you know, dicks growing out of the bottom of their feet, but it's not like big dicks. And then you always have to step on them because it hurts. It's actually just like balls. You got balls growing out of your, uh, 
growing out of the heel of your foot and just every time you step it feels like you've been kicked in the nuts and they're just going nope these things are safe and effective we need to be able to hang more people listen if they turn out to be right then god bless people got the uh vaccines they uh it all worked out for them they could go back to sneezing on their grandparents but i'm just saying if they keep just saying that these things are uh totally fine and they're not i don't know something something terrible should happen to them but i don't actually mean that because do you guys see there was this article about some dude who was uh talking about aoc and then cops actually visited him on on a podcast and then aoc was like i had nothing to do with that i never complained about nothing i wasn't crying in bathrooms i don't i don't ever feel like a victim that's not me you must be talking about um other people all right. And then speaking of people getting out of jail, which is actually a transition to what I was talking three topics ago, but you know, just groove with me here. Uh, do you guys watch the footage of that dude, the military Lieutenant? He's getting pulled over by cops. The claim is under a hundred seconds. He he's getting pulled over by cops. It's a dark road. Um, he's, he's uh, apparently afraid of the, the police, who I think you have some rights in terms of telling cops that they have to identify themselves. Maybe I'm just saying that off of like old chain emails that I used to see of, uh, you know, if a cop ever pulls you over, make sure to ask him for your badge number. Make sure it's really a cop because there are fake cops out there and they'll rape you in the middle of the night. I remember that was, and if you don't send this email to 14 people, you know, you're going to get raped by the next cop you see. Um, it was one of like those uh, creepy chain letters you used to get with AOL. Anyways, I think you have some rights to ask a cop to identify themselves or to pull over where you feel is safe. So this guy, not clear as to why he was being pulled over. I think they said uh, he didn't have plates, which is weird. I can't imagine the guy was just driving with no plates. That sounds like one of those when I've got him pulled over and the cops like, I think your back taillight was out. And then at the end of them searching your whole car, realizing that you don't have any drugs on you, they go, oh, it magically fixed itself. You know, I, I pulled you over because I thought maybe it wasn't working. Why don't you give it a test run? Look at that. Look at that. I was wrong. Good thing I pulled you over to check on that back taillight because apparently you've got a perfectly good back taillight and so you can be on your way and enjoy your evening. You know, you might have been driving around being all nervous like, hey, is one of my back taillights not working? But me, officer of the law, I had your back, pulled you over at 12 a.m., searched your whole car for 20 minutes, detained you in the back of my car, and now we can be totally certain that that back taillight is good and you are good to be on your way. So anyways, I think they claimed that uh, the guy wasn't didn't have a license plate. Sounds like one of those back taillight situations. Uh, so the guy, they say less than 100 seconds. He's driving in his car. He's got He's under the speed limit. He's got the, uh, the blinker things on. And so they pull him over, they're yelling at him, and he actually played it pretty smooth. He puts his hands out the window, and I guess with his military training, he knows how to de-escalate things. So just really calmly, he's like, hey, can you tell me what's going on? Can you tell me what's going on? And they, they just, they fucking are yelling at him. I mean, it's like the opposite of trying to de-escalate. It's, you know, usually you would think cops are like, remain calm. But in this case, like quit remaining calm so that we can create more panic and hopefully escalate this to the point that you can please stop remaining calm, sir, sir. We need you to stop being calm so that we can escalate this situation. Please, please stop your calmness, sir. (laughs) And so the guy, you know, the, uh, they uh, spray the, what are those? I want to say tase, but they didn't tase him. They sprayed the pepper spray right into his eyes, 
Wally's sitting in the car. He comes back. He's like a double dipper. He doesn't just pepper spray him. He's like a dude who's double dipping into the guacamole or the salsa or whatever you George Costanza situation. Was that episode, was George Costanza busted for double dipping or was he yelling at someone for double dipping? I don't quite remember. I don't watch Seinfeld anymore because as a kid, I loved it. And now I watch it and I'm just like, I became George. And then I don't feel good about myself. I always wanted to be a Jerry. I don't want to be a George, Jerry. I never wanted to be a George. So I, I don't really watch Seinfeld anymore because I just agree with him. I just see everything he says, everything he's doing, and it makes sense to me. And then I acknowledge also that it's supposed to be comedy, that no one's supposed to behave that way. And so I turn it off. But anyways, back to this thing that I was trying to describe. So the guy doesn't just pepper spray him. He pepper sprays him a second time, then they pull him out of the car. He just keeps saying like, hey, can we like be calm about this? Can we uh, maybe have a conversation? Maybe how about I'll buy you a cup of coffee? maybe some danishes. You can tell me why you're pulling me over, what you're all upset about, but no, they don't want to have a conversation. They want to make sure that uh, their authority is on full display. And even if a guy wants to be calm, trying to have a conversation, figure out why he's being pulled over, they're throwing you on the ground. They're pepper spraying you in the face. They're, they make about as... Uh... And by the way, I mean... It also shouldn't be a thing of like, hey, I'm I'm in the military, so why would you even do this to a person? You shouldn't fucking do it to anybody. It should not be done. Uh, and I want to make the case that, you know, if it wasn't for these cameras, we wouldn't know about any of these incidents. They would just report it every single time as going, well, this person put us in danger and we had no choice but to, to shoot him. We had no cho- like. The only reason why these people are getting in trouble is because of, and even in the George Floyd case, I think they had to pay the family a pretty substantial amount of money, but none of this would happen if it wasn't for the cameras, which just makes me think anyone who's ever been in jail for anything, they should have, we got to like start this thing over. You need like a Thanos, you know, snapping, like just reset, just because I think it's pretty clear that we've got visual evidence that without visual evidence, cops are going to lie through their fucking teeth. And since this uh, video technology is pretty new, I mean, just how many incidents a year, even with this stuff, I'm sure they get away with fucking murder. I mean, we, we've we've actually literally seen them get away. Shouldn't be laughing about that. I'm not I'm not trying to, you know, be all uh, Hillary Clinton sociopathic and laughing about death. I'm not that kind of a person. I'm trying to go full socialist. I'm trying to pretend like I care for people. I'm not so I'm not trying to do the Hillary Clinton route. OK, that's enough of my ramble about um, random news events. So let's get into it with uh, Ryan Ray. Uh, fun talk about all the uh, different little uh, situations going on in the world that look like they might lead to war. Uh, but before we do that, you know, you got to stock up on some sheath underwear, because if you get drafted into the military, uh, you want to make sure that you've got good underwear for running the other way. <laughs> because if you do get drafted, I'm here to tell you, be strong enough to be a coward, like be strong enough just to run from whatever they tell you that you're supposed to be doing. And if you're trying to run away from uh, your your duty to defend this country in a war that we shouldn't be in, um, you're going to want to have underwear where you can put your dick into a dickle, you can put your balls up on a nice, comfortable ledge that will protect him, and you can run like hell, and while you're running for your life, you don't need to worry about um your legs getting all chafed up and sweaty, or all the other terrible situations that arise from underwear that are not really made for hot and sweaty situations. Um, which also means, like, if you're going to get into, uh, um, I, I don't know, a summer of 
hot sex with while wearing underwear. Like you, you just want to go back in time. You know, Ryan might be a little bit too conservative for me to, uh, it's unfair. You, you have guests on and you, and you say all this terrible shit before their little segment. And then they just think that they were on a nice show where, you know, they got to talk about Liberty and not going to war. And then they go listen to the beginning of it. And you're talking about having, um, hot sex with underwear on, which, uh, you know, high school style, but not in the Matt Gates way, not cause you're going to do it with, with minors. That's not cool. We're not endorsing minor sex on the run your mouth podcast. No matter how socialist we go, we will remain anti minor sex. I know some of the other socialists out there are, are real into that kind of thing, but that's not the kind of socialism I'm looking to get into. Uh, point being support, support our sponsors. <laughs> Go to sheathunderwear.com, use promo code RYM, you get 20% off on some uh, excellent underwear. You can use it as briefs, or you can uh, separate your dick from your balls. And uh, let's move on and welcome our guest to the podcast. I am uh, thrilled to have uh, another guest on this week. It's Ryan Ray from uh, The War Room. Uh, And uh, Ryan, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Yeah, and Robbie, thanks for having me first. And before we go any further... This is not Steve Bannon's war room pandemic because I get that sometimes. <laughs> so, no, affili- so if you want to see in the Steve Bannon hate to Robbie, you can just not from me. It's, there's no affiliation there. Um, Ryan's real name is actually Steve Bannon, and he goes <laughs> under this other name when he's not advocating for building walls and going to war. Uh, but it, it's, a, it's a thrill to have either one of you on. Um, <laughs> no, I, w- I really want to have you on because sometimes there are topics that come up in the news and they get like, very little coverage. And I go, no, this is a big news story. Uh, and what's funny to me about this story is for all that the chatter that used to be anti-Trump of he's going to make us look look weak to other countries. It seems to me that people are almost taking advantage of sleepy Joe Biden and they're going, hey, this is an opportunity for us to make some moves. Um, so one of the big moves that I saw that I reached out was what's going on in Iran, that they seem to be bypassing the sanctions and starting to work more directly with China. And so I hit you up because I was like, I need someone who actually knows these topics. Uh, Before we get into that, why don't you let our audience know a little bit about your background and the uh, podcast that you're doing? Yeah, thanks for that. So um, I have a handful of podcasts um, that I do. So Texas Long Guest Podcast, Energy Week Podcast, which would be energy-specific shows. Um, I'm on the board of advisors for the George H.W. Bush Foundation for U.S.-China Relations. And uh, a show that you've been on, um, uh, the war inside the war room, which is on the war room newsletter. Also, just so your listeners know, if you want to get on the big name guest, you bring on Robbie because that elevates your status. And so later on, we actually had on your favorite senator Ted Cruz um, after you appeared, and they, he said, "I wouldn't come on unless Robbie came on." So it's kind, <laughs> kind of the gateway drug for him. So um, and so yeah, so I've not, not sure if an expert anything, but I do talk about these topics regularly, and um, and so thanks uh, again, thanks for having me. And it, this this whole this whole thing is quite interesting because the, to your point, uh, the framing of what was happening during Trump's administration, we'll get into that, I'm sure, and how it's happening with Biden's administration is quite interesting to watch. And then, um, you know, the, the, to listen to the China experts, the U.S. based China experts on what China's doing and, and how to tackle China is something I'll, I also find interesting. Oh, and I have Feeding the Dragon podcast, which is just U.S. China relations type, type talk as well. So a bunch of different podcasts. So with, uh, you're familiar with part of the problem, so you're familiar with the nature of uh, our audience, which is going to lean a little bit more libertarian. And I think our listeners, when they hear the words H.W. Bush Foundation, might get a little bit alarmed of, 
what kind of a warmonger did you bring on here? <laughs> but on the same note, I'm sure you actually do have some real expertise in terms of foreign relations. And I remember from the one time we spoke, um, there were there were there were some factors of international things I was unaware of that you seem to have a real handle on. Yeah. So why don't you like uh, educate our audience a little bit about what your real expertise is? Yeah. So let me just address um, the George H. W. Bush Foundation for U.S. China Relations. I am a libertarian as well, and I think when you came on my show, I said I'm probably not as much as you and Dave are. I'm not a anarcho capitalist, but I am a libertarian, very much a um, small government libertarian. Um, you know, and so depending on the issue, the conservatives would like me or, or the uh, the liberals would like me. The progressives would never like me, probably. But, you know, that I would find a lot of common ground. Um, so very much a libertarian. And that's one thing I appreciate about the Bush Foundation is they allow me to express my views as a libertarian. And it's very hard in this in this world because and this is something that I appreciate about your and Dave's show. Part of the problem is that you say, well, hey, here's a libertarian ideal. But there's a lot of steps between here and there. And the path to get there is not always as clear cut as we we think. And so we're talking about the uh, the China, Iran and the dollar and stuff like that. Well, we, we both agree that we should probably end the Federal Reserve. And I say probably because if we end it tomorrow, it might be catastrophic. Like, we don't know what would actually happen if we end it tomorrow. Uh, we both think that's probably the best thing. But I wouldn't advocate to pull it tomorrow because I don't know the law of unintended consequences would apply there, too. Um, and so they allow a crazy libertarian like me to come in and give my ideals and my opinions. And I'm the only libertarian, to my knowledge, on the board of advisors. And so I'm very thankful to have a voice with um, with them in that respect. And they're very open to a lot of different perspectives. So from that perspective, that's something that you don't see every day. And so I think we should applaud groups that are open to a wide range of, of opinions. And, and the Bush, Bush China Foundation has been very open to hearing what I have to say on these issues. All right. So let's get uh, cooking on this Iran thing. And then there are some <laughs> other uh, interesting topics, uh, particularly with China and some other foreign stuff that's going on right now. So what, what caught my eye um, is... And I'd emailed, I think I emailed, no, I, I Twittered over uh, the mm -hmm. article over your way. Mm -hmm. um, but essentially, Iran, uh, we've been, have had heavy sanctions against Iran for a long time. And I remember one of the big things was Obama went over there with pallets of currency, which I guess was desperately needed by them. Uh, and now they're actually going to be selling oil directly to China, um, which right off the bat, I assume with whatever sanctions are in place, that must be getting around sanctions, because I thought that was part of it was that they weren't that easily able to sell their oil. Um, but also them being able to sell oil directly in another currency, to me, and my limited knowledge of uh, world history is that's the kind of thing we used to go to war over. Uh, because really, what America wants more than anything is to make sure that we're the currency of the world. Uh, so I'll hand that back over to you. Yeah. So I'll, I'll throw out a, probably a lot of things here. So I'll try to reference stuff for folks who want to go listen. And so you can go Google. Um, this would be the last year. Venezuela sends plane full of gold to Iran. Um, and so last year, you know, Venezuela and Iran are both countries that we have sanctions on. And they were sending plane. Uh, they put gold on a plane and they'd send it over because they're trying to trade oil. So the dollar as a reserve currency is used as a weapon, as you say, and the U.S. interest is to protect that. Um, and so countries have to figure out either A, they're going to bend the knee to whatever the, the U.S. government wants, or B, they got to figure out a way to to trade. And as we know, as libertarians, we know that, you know, currency, the fiat currency that we hold is only valuable if people agree it's valuable. Well, gold's valuable and Bitcoin's valuable or, or whatever else. And so these countries have to figure out a way to to um, to trade their, their products and their services. And so gold's one way, the digital, the, uh, the yuan and stuff like that with China is another way. And so um, what you've been seeing with Iran is that they've been sanctioned by the U.S., 
and the official numbers for oil that they're that they're exporting has been underreported. So they're, because they're putting it on these ships and they're transferring illegally and all this stuff and trying to hide it. Um, and so when you look at like global oil production or what OPEC's doing right now, uh, you have to understand that the, that the production is actually higher just from Iranian standpoint alone, and regardless of how accurate those numbers are in general. The production is actually higher because Iran's putting out more oil um, than they're actually accounting for. And so because they have to sell this, they have to sell this to the market. They, they, you know, if they don't, what's going to happen to their economy? It's already tough there as it is, but these people want to stay in power. And so what are they going to do to stay in power? They're going to figure out a way, just like you see with any other black market, to make sure something happens. So if that's going to China, if that's putting plain, uh, gold on plane and sending it across the ocean, whatever they have to do, they're going to figure out a way to work around the reserve currency. All right. So let's just uh, take a second to actually um, discuss what we mean by the U.S. dollar being the reserve currency, uh, because to me, it's actually the most interesting story. It, the two most interesting stories in the world, and they're not what you've currently hear about, is one, we like to think of the U.S. not necessarily as an empire in the way other countries were, that they you know, basically go into other areas, they plunder their resources. But we do have a different scheme going here, which is we want to make sure that everyone's staying on the dollar. Because as long as they're on the dollar, there's a lot of demand for it, which means that people lend us money. And it also means that as wide of a net exists for basically dollars in the world, like the more people that are holding dollars, the easier it is for us to inflate the currency without, you know, people like your mom, dad, myself realizing like, oh, my God, there's a ton of inflation here. Um, it, I, do it, In your eyes, is that mainly the story of kind of the dollar being the reserve currency or am I being a little bit? like too conspiracy minded or evil toward or taking too evil of a view of the U S government. Yeah. It's always hard to know when you're being not you, but us collectively, when we're putting on our conspiracy hat versus when we're, um, you know, we're, we're calling things as we see it and it looks conspiratorial. And so how, how I try to look at these things is um, people are tend to do stuff in their best interest, whether it's you, me or, or the government and whether or not we're always aware of why our motivations are what they are. You know, we understand our our own motivations so well that we're just going to do things to do them in our best interest. Um, so the U.S. government, are they waking up every day going, we have to protect the reserve currency? Uh, I don't know. But when you look at Janet Yellen's, Janet Yellen, Yellen's comments, it seems that she's quite keen on this point. Like she seems to be pretty aware of the threat that you're talking about. And so, um, you know, how can spirit, how like, is it, like, you know, what, what's the president get his CIA daily book? You know, <laughs> is it there, the greatest threats to the dollar in his, his daily report? I don't know. But it definitely leads um, with how we operate. We talk about sanctions and stuff like that. We use it as a weapon. So it's part of the process. It's part of in the thought process of, of presidents and, and influential leaders to use the dollar as a weapon to maintain it. Because as you say, if we have the dollar, we can really control as a reserve currency. We can really control or influence what happens globally without having to um, send in troops. And that's a big weapon that you know hasn't been around until, well, I guess you'd say when we got the gold standard, we could really inflate this thing up right? but with what we call it, liquidity is that the right word right so um with the sanctions that you're talking about because it just kind of throws into my memory that we must have thrown a million sanctions over at russia um this was probably more I'm, i think this was a little bit more during the obama administration that there were like constant sanctions and it was a little bit more with what was going on in ukraine did that actually affect them in any way like did that it, 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 you know, it, it seems like there's almost uh, it's like this childish game where, you know, it, you're going to you're going to duel with your friend, but it's going to be body punches only. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like mm -hmm. at every aspect of kind of like war, it's always about how much pain you can inflict on the other person. 
but then everyone kind of will go by certain rules like, hey, I'm not going to bomb your hospital or, hey, we're not going to use our nukes or, hey, we're not going to actually fight. We're just going to see who's got enough power here to impose economic pain on the other person. So I know that this is uh, me being a little bit ADD, but it just kind of came into into my mind. Were any of those sanctions against Russia like effective in any way? Like, do we have that much influence when it comes to monetary sanctions? Well, it, it depends on how... It, you know, this is the problem with these things is it depends on how you view what's effective. So from one perspective, the sanctions that we have on Iran right now to talk to talk about them, they are effective because they're making them um, sell their oil for cheaper. Right. They're having to use nefarious means and to go through these extra efforts. So on some level, that is effective and it's, it is hampering their economic growth. And so the same thing on some scale would be with Russia um, on, on a less magnitude because Russia is a bigger economy. Uh, so there there's some level of effectiveness. But as we've seen with Cuba, these things ultimately just don't work. They're, they're just not – they don't have the ability to crush an economy, to, to get a regime change, uh, North Korea as well. So these things don't – so they are effective. You can't say they're nothing, but they're not enough. So I guess body it, analogies is, the way to, is a good way to think about it. It's kind of like it's annoying to them, but it's yes. not – and and the nuisance probably falls more on the citizens than it does the leaders exactly. because – the leaders would rather be at the head of a shittier economy because the wealth of being the head of a shittier economy and being able to tax your citizens is a lot better than living in a rich country. But, you know, you're just some schmuck. So, like, if you're Iran, you're not giving over you're not giving up the power of your right. um, your your country. Like, in other words, if you have to sell, you know, one one hundredth the amount of oil that you could if there were just open, you know, just fucking open borders, I guess you'd rather be in charge and sell the one one hundredth because you're still keeping all that money. So I, based on what I just said, and I know there's something Dave said a lot where it's kind of like a hostage situation. Um, but would you say that that's also just kind of accurate where these sanctions more just kind of screwing over the citizens more than doing anything else? Yeah. Yeah. And let's, um, <clears throat> let's think about it like this. So recently Jack Ma in China has gotten in trouble. Well, what happened with him on, on some level was he got so rich, so famous. He felt so powerful that all of a sudden he could start criticizing the CCP. Well, that doesn't play. So we know right. that while these governments, Russia, Iran, China, uh, they want their economy to flourish. They won't. They, they don't want to flourish too much. And so what happens is when the U.S. pushes these sanctions, it does hurt the little guys, you say. But then the other thing it does is it gives these totalitarian regimes the ability to say, who's the real enemy? The real enemy is... The Americans, right? So our economy would be better if we weren't if we didn't have to deal with the Americans. The Americans, and so um, these regimes, they need an external threat to tell their citizens that we're going to protect you from these people. Um, in this case, the Americans, and so it's kind of weird because they would things would be better, but they wouldn't be great because at some point they would say, "Well, <laughs> you're getting too rich, you're getting too much power, we have to come put you in check." Um, because obviously that would be too far. So they would be better. They would handle it differently. And you see that in China where things where people get really rich, they get really powerful. And all of a sudden the government's like, okay, that's too much power. You have too much speech. You're talking too much. So it's, it's an interesting dynamic because they don't ultimately want what we want in America. Or we say we want America, which is all these people being rich and successful. They want them to be more wealthy, but if they're not, then this, the propaganda just goes to, oh, well, you would have more money, but <laughs> no Trump or Biden or whomever, you know, they're, 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 you know, we got to protect you from these guys. Look what they're doing to you. They're making you starve to death. So just to play uh, devil's advocate, though, um, and this is not an argument that I agree with, but I'm, I'm curious to, I guess, hear how you would debunk it. Uh, could you stay, though, that perhaps the sanctions are getting in the way of Iranian growth? And if we allowed I Iran to grow or we allowed them to have these tremendous economic profits or to just kind of be a part of the world economy, 
they would put those growth and profits into, um, I, I, I guess the claim is more control over the region, attacking Israel, possibly building up a nuclear, you know, I, I guess what they try and claim is that Iran has always wanted to be a world empire ever since Persia fell. And so if given the economic resources, they're going to try and become a world empire again. And so until they commit to the fact that like, they're going to be cool, we got to make sure that, you know, they can't grow all that much. Yeah. So as a free market libertarian, one of the things I try to push people on is the best way to fight our enemies is through the free markets. So if you don't want the Iranians to attack you, the best thing to do is to encourage their pe people to become wealthy because guess what wealthy people don't want to do? They don't want to go fight and die. They have too much to lose. And so if so, now what would happen in this hypothetical that you're saying? It's quite possible. I don't know. The best thing that we can do is try to make their populace rich, wealthy. And, and I'm not saying that to be millionaires, but uh, well above where they're at now. Because those people, they have a lot to lose. They do not want to see their houses get bombs, their streets get destroyed. They want their kids to go to good schools. They're people like you and me, by and large. There's good people. There's bad people. But the, the lower you go on the socioeconomic scale, the less you have to lose. And that's just a that's why we see people in our country migrating from you know, Honduras, Nicaragua, because they, they uh, if you, I've been down there, we can talk about that another time or whatever. But I mean, you go down these places and there's just nothing. It is terrible. It's so sad. These people have nothing to lose. There's nothing there for them. So why would we not look at what the free market does? Say, hey, if you want to combat this, let's make these people wealthy. And if, oh, by the way, when we do that, they're not going to take this crap from the top anymore because now they have something to go for. And so I, to me, I, I, when I hear these policymakers and stuff, it's like, if we believe what we say, isn't that the way to combat the enemies that we think we have? Like, exposed. Now, they may not want it. That's fine. We can't, we, we can't, I'm not saying that George W. Bush, we're going to make democracy great everywhere else, but at least make them wealthy. <laughs> like, just make them wealthy. Because in the final thing I say is, um, and th this was really something I was thinking about early Trump administration, and I've kind of said it, but it's right now, it doesn't like happen. The more, think about Syria. Um, whatever the biggest teachers union pension is in the U.S. right now, if they invested a substantial portion of their money in Syria and some factory company over there, would we would we be bombing Syria right now? No, because they'd be calling up their local congressman, their local senator saying, dude, if your bomb destroys my factory, I'm voting your butt out of office. It would be it would be done. It'd be done overnight. So the more international and global trade we have, I know we talk about the threat of globalization and there's some things to be concerned with. But generally speaking, once we invest in other countries, we start to care about them. We start to go, you know, I don't want bad things to happen to those people from the financial interest. Now, we'd like to have everyone um, have a better altruistic nature. But at the core, let's just be honest, capitalism does bring a lot of good to the table. And so that, so I'll quit rambling now, but I think that would be what I'd say. No, no, I, you were you were cooking and it was uh, an insightful answer. And um I agree with what you were saying up top for sure. The, the second half I hadn't really thought of, but it makes perfect sense to me. Um, but I do think that people are people in like countries, borders, religions. There's a lot of stuff that divide us. But for the most part, people really just actually just want to live a good life. Um, and it, you know what I mean? It, like the more we can just understand, hey, most people in Iran, they just want to live a decent life. You realize they're not really my enemy in any capacity. Most people aren't. And and, and it's, it doesn't. And so and I know for your show and your audience, it's kind of, we can talk a little more freely, but you know, these things go. Um, we have to talk in, 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 in real terms. Most people, and I'm not an Iranian expert either. Most people aren't Iranian experts because there's no reason for them to be. There's just not. And so, you know, until, um, <clears throat> until there's a, you know, a war or 
an outbreak or, or civil war, we don't we're not we don't know all the tribes and the different demographics. We don't, we don't know that it's not relevant to us. But if we invested in their country and our pensions and our 401ks and stuff were tied into their country, we'd all want to know a lot better about what's going on. Uh, we would be experts, but we'd want to know. And so that's just kind of my core thesis is, you know, if you want to stop these cross-country warring, the best way to do that is to figure out how do we slowly begin to invest in other people's economies. Oh, by the way, if you want double, triple-digit growth, emerging markets is where it's at, right? Because if you're going from a very poor country and you're trying to come to a, you know, a we'll call it second world status, that's the, the growth potential is, is enormous. And so um, those are the ideas, I think, that, that are kept from us that... So uh, in, in other words, I just I, on paper, because I, I, I always hear the, the term emerging markets and the money in emerging market. I'm not that savvy of an investor, but let's just break it down into stupid person's terms. Uh, if you had an opportunity, let's just say there was a crowdfunding type site where you could be investing in Iran. Chances are, if you're you know just looking to put your thousand dollars into a, into a bond, your Iran bond is going to do much better for you than your U.S. bond in terms of the interest rates because there's more growth potential over there. So what you were saying in terms of just the finances of it, like as an American, you actually can be investing in the prosperity of Iran and make more money with your with your fixed capital. And then you actually there, if anything, they're going to be like, oh, look at what we were able to do with American money. Mm -hmm. So it's this funny thing where just the financial interest, everyone can walk away a winner. Right. Now, you know, it, it, it's a little, obviously it's more complicated than that because you got to figure out taxes and laws and stuff like that as far as how you're going to handle lawsuits and contracts. But at the core, that's the thesis. And so how, so um, I'm working with some Western African nations right now and there's one and they're like, hey, we really need our medical system built out. Okay. Well, they, you know, and, and it started with, they didn't have an anti-venom for um, a snake bite. And I can't remember what the snake was, but anyways, and so you start thinking about that. Okay, well, if you built out the hospital system there, right? So people were healthier, and then people begin to understand what you know what happens when you get a headache or you know whatever the conditions are. They don't know. They're just ignorant because they don't have the medical. They don't have you know they don't have what we have here, so they don't know. Okay, well they become healthier. They work more. They work longer. They become wealthier. So then you have hospitals and you have all the so all of this stuff starts to grow inside of their economy. Um, well, the potential for growth and for investment is huge, right? It's a coastal country. And so those, this is how you look at it. Say, well, if you start raising the bottom up um, over time, the, the potential for wealth is, 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 um, is enormous. And so you can make money in the U.S., obviously investing in VCs or stuff like that. But the emerging markets, if it's done right, the potential for those economies to boom is just far greater because they have like, so you, you know these numbers, China's GDP growth was double digit year over year over year. Well, right, well look at their economy, right? There were, it was double-digit growth, but look at where they came from. And so it's the same, it's the same, it's the same mindset. Right. And a lot of that is um, like you were saying, when you're at the base level, almost just kind of moving people from farms, from farming just yeah. for themselves and their family to like some sort of a manufacturing job. That's kind of level one. Yeah. And at that level one, yes, the economic growth is going to be pretty, pretty monstrous. It, that alone. And then you know, what you're seeing like with China now is, is that some of those manufacturing jobs, they've had to move out because it's just not economic anymore. People, they've moved to the big city. They've got better jobs. Um, the cost is too prohibitive. So they've gone to Vietnam or other places. Same thing. So if you went to Iran or wherever and you started doing that here, well, eventually they'd say, okay, listen, you know, three bucks an hour. That was great five years ago, but you know what? I can go get 10 bucks an hour now, or I can send my kid to college or I can do this other stuff. And so as time progresses, they don't want those jobs. Those jobs get offshore to somewhere else and their economy has new things it can do to self-sustain itself. All right. So let's go back to the, uh, just kind of talking about the reserve currency for yep. a second. 
Did you see uh, Peter Thiel? There was like a little clip today where he was talking about, and he was being very poetic, but he was saying that the euro at one point could almost be look at, looked at as a Chinese weapon. And you could even see Bitcoin as a Chinese weapon. And they're a Chinese weapon because if they diversify um, the world's uh, currency usage away from the US dollar, nothing can hurt basically the American government more than basically reserve ratios moving away from, from the dollar. Um, it did, I, did you see that clip? So I've seen, I have it bookmarked. It's funny you brought that up. I meant to go check it out before we talked today because I didn't know if you'd seen it or not as well. Um, so I saw he said that it could be used as a weapon. And it's interesting that that was his take that because um, he also was critical of Apple's relationship with China as well. So I haven't seen the details of it, but I did see it. I haven't saved. What was his what was your take on his on his statement? Right. So um, my take is that I think the powers that be are actually very like even Peter Thiel, he was saying like, I'm a fan of Bitcoin, but just understand, mm -hmm. I think people really do understand uh, how important it is to us interests that we remain the reserve currency of the world. And I think that's where you start hearing about things like the petrodollar, because mm -hmm. we need the backing of that, you know, at the end of the day, what gives the U S like dollar its value? Um, well, it's the demand. It's that we can use it. It's the store of value. We all get how currency works, but in part, I know that the U.S. government will take it when I pay my taxes. So I'm guaranteed that there's something that it can be used for, right? And so you can't exchange it for gold, but you can exchange it for oil. Oil is priced in dollars, which means that there's a built-in demand for dollars because at some point, even if you have any other currency, if you've got gold, you're going to have to convert it into dollars. So the result is that you're guaranteed dollar usage, which on the same note, you, you look at Bitcoin the Bitcoin equation kind of starts to change when a company like Tesla says, hey, we'll accept your Bitcoin. Well, now you know for sure someone's going to accept it. In other words, you're, you're, built, you're, you're stating that there's definite demand and convertibility for it, which then is going to increase the value of it. So the, the, the Tesla thing I thought was interesting because I didn't really understand why that made so much news. So Musk said that, you know, we'll take A, we'll take your Bitcoin and B, we won't turn it back into fiat. And so, okay, so if, I don't know what Bitcoin is today, 55, 50, 60,000, whatever it is. Um, so if I have it at 55,000 and I'm a Bitcoin bull and I think it's going to 120,000, there's no way I would ever trade that in for a Tesla or anything else, right? Like that right. doesn't make sense. So I'd have to liquidate my Bitcoin potentially. Um, and so you might liquidate for, for the cash, but why would you ever give Elon the inflationary asset? Now, if you think Bitcoin is going to trash to twenty, crash to twenty thousand, then of course you would do it because now you've got a you know, car for half off. Um, so I don't, I, I've never really understood that being significant. I mean, maybe I'm missing something there, but to me, it's like, okay, well, if you really think it's going to a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, or ten million, why would you ever get rid of it at fifty thousand for a Tesla or anything else? Right. Um, so I, I think because uh, there was also a story in New York that a bartender was trying to sell his bar for Bitcoin. I think the real story there is that certain people actually prefer Bitcoin that they're now willing to accept it in, instead of cash when they're selling something, which means that if you do need to go buy something, it's easier to do that. Like, let's say you you have so much Bitcoin and you're doing really well with it and you would just rather spend some of your because like you're kind of looking at your bank account. Let's say you got $10,000 in the bank and your Bitcoin's up to the wazoo because you've been putting most of your savings in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's actually just easier instead of having to convert some of your Bitcoin to cash to go purchase it, to just go purchase it with your Bitcoin. Um, to me, the, the the bigger element there is just that 
companies are actually saying, we believe in this thing so much, we'll take your Bitcoin instead of cash. And then also because like institutional investors are so much larger than you or me, if a player like Tesla, which is probably kind of the first mover in terms of saying, hey, we're going to start holding reserves in Bitcoin so that we can transact in Bitcoin, um, that says a lot. Yeah, it does. So I, I think if you are um, you know, in Venezuela or South America or an emerging market and you're doing contract work and you're getting paid Bitcoin, that makes a lot of sense because it's going to outpace your reserve currency you know, hand over fist. And so that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and you can become wealthy by doing that. So I think that's a, that's a great idea. Um, you know, as far as the U S and, you know, selling your business to Bitcoin, first off, you know, I don't, I don't care. I'm not like pro or anti, I'm not trying to say what you should or shouldn't do. Um, I think the thing with me, Rob, is that when you look at 2020, you know, before, uh, before this ever shut down, I was, I'm, I'm getting this against the shutdowns from day one. I've never wavered on that. Um, at the time I said, the only thing we should do for my consideration, a compromise would be to put the, you know, 55, 60 up, give them three months worth of living expenses. So we kind of figure out what's going on, you know, meet in the middle. Of course, that would say just, you know, how many billions of dollars if we'd done that, we didn't do that, but whatever. So, but I never thought the Americans would, would take what they took. Right. So in Texas, everyone's like, come and take it on their mask. I'm like, bro, they come and took it. When you put come and take it on your mask, that means that it's, it's been taken. It's gone. Like it's gone now. Don't say the mask was come and take it means it's been taken. Okay. So please don't wear that mask anymore. Um, that happened. We all lived through that. So do we honestly believe that the government came out tomorrow and said, if we catch a Bitcoin or put you in jail, that people would save Bitcoin in the U.S.? I have no hope in that. And so it's almost the Bitcoin bulls are like, well, they'll never stop this. It's like, bro, they locked us in our houses last year and everyone took it. Everyone took it. I was stunned. So I'm, I'm not, I don't buy the narrative that people would stand up and fight for Bitcoin. I just don't. Maybe I'm wrong. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. But after watching what we watched last year, I don't think there's enough people that would stand up and say, no, 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 we're going to keep our Bitcoin. I think. <laughs> no, I think, uh, I think you're 100% right. The, the biggest risk to Bitcoin is government shutting down. At one point in this country, they collected people's gold right. and they're in the currency game. So if it gets to the point where the country's going under, because Bitcoin's going through the roof and dollars going, you know, they can't fund our debt. Mm -hmm. Yes, they're going to do everything they can so that they don't have to. Uh, I, so they, they don't want to have to shut down the country. You know, they don't want to have to declare bankruptcy and go, hey, this thing failed and we printed all the money. So, yeah, if it comes to the point where uh, Bitcoin is ruining the U.S.'s ability to transact in dollars and inflate dollars, they will do everything within their power to shut it down. But that that analysis does kind of reinforce what I'm saying, that the most important thing to the U.S. government is kind of having this dollar reserve exactly. and being the currency of the world. Exactly. So just so anyone listening, I, I, I say I have between a, on a scale of one to 10, depending on the day, a six to an eight kind of belief in Bitcoin's viability long term. Like That's kind of where I'm at. So I, I do think it will work, but I think the... Bitcoin bulls who are like, oh, there's nothing to worry about. I mean, I literally watched all y'all be like, yeah, we should lock in our houses. Yeah, we shouldn't go to synagogue. Yeah, we shouldn't go to church. Yeah, we should shut down schools. Yeah, we should do all this stuff. Like, and I was just like, what in the world's going on here? And, and oh, by the way, the big banks are buying Bitcoin now. That seems like a recipe for disaster. Like, if anything, the adoption of the Bitcoin by the banks, I, I think that should be a concern, not something that should be, I mean, I don't know. To me, it's like these are the people who would be the first ones to say, guys, 
someone's got to regulate this thing. Look how much our investors lost. Oh my gosh. I mean, do you buy the big banks are really that excited about Bitcoin? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, I haven't paid that much attention to, well, here's what I think is going on there. If the institutional um, investors actually get into the space, the banks definitely want to be ahead of them and have the infrastructure so that they can kind of transact with those accounts. Mm -hmm. um, it could be that Bitcoin does hit some sort of a critical mass where it's actually really being used by banks, foreign governments, by you know places in the world that don't necessarily have access to the U.S. dollar in the same way. Um, but I, I don't I don't know that we're there yet. Uh, and I guess I'd have to look into a little bit more what exactly the big banks are up to, because I, I haven't really been following their movements with Bitcoin all that much. Yeah. So like JP Diamond come out and now he's trying to create a basket for uh, Chase, you know, and he was just two, three years ago talking about how it's, you know, worthless. It's a fraud. It's a scam. And so the big banks are changing their narrative on it. And it's like, hmm, anytime, anytime the big banks and me agree I don't care if it's the sky's blue. I'm like, okay, hold on. <laughs> we go outside and look again real quick, you know, because I, I don't, I don't trust those guys. And so I just, you know, to me, you talk about nefarious tenfold hat kind of put the tenfold hat on, you know, concerns when the big banks are aligning with me on policies like, mm, because in, at the end of the day, they are very aligned with the fact that they need the reserve currency. They need the dollar to be reserve currency too. That is fundamental to their business. Well, yeah, because they're, I mean, they're in cahoots that, that it's the same game to them that they want to be able to lend out as much money and uh, basically be able to inflate the money supply. Uh, so they're in it with the U S government. Like that is a relationship in tandem where the U S government wants to fund its debt and right. the banks want to basically rob us for as much money as they can. Exactly. Uh, all right. Now to my eye, we fought some wars here in order to kind of keep the U the world basically on a U.S. currency standard. Um, from what I've read, it seems like World War II, we somewhat got involved because we wanted to walk away as, uh, you know, we got England's back, but the deal was kind of, hey, listen, we're going off the pound. Like at the end of this thing, we're going on the dollar standard. We'll get your back. But that that was kind of the victory that we walked away with. Now, was that arrangement made beforehand? I can't tell you. Uh, maybe other people know a little bit more history. Maybe you know more about that than I do. But it does seem to me like that was the spoils of World War II was that we walked away as being able to be the reserve currency. Yeah. So what I love about stuff like this is, is that you're 100% right. Now, was it the plan before or not? I don't know. Here's kind of how I, I take these things, Rob, is that, um, you know, instead of getting into the kind of stuff that's hard to prove, let's just talk about what we can prove. We, after World War II, before it was actually over, it was in 1944, um, you know, we became the reserve currency. And so uh, we're still fighting in Japan, right? Um, and so, yeah, that was the spool of World War II because we had a, you know, a decent economy at the time. We helped defeat, uh, defeat Hitler. So whether or not it was a plan or not, prearranged, it doesn't even matter. So you have to stop and go, huh, okay, that's a pretty big motivation for future, right? So whether or not, um, you know, when Roosevelt and, and the gang put us in there, I don't know. I, and then maybe someone does know. I don't know the answer. Maybe it is a little more clear cut. All I do know is that it happened. And so moving forward, if we were to lose a big war, well, obviously, we'd probably lose the reserve currency. If our economy was to really struggle, we would lo lose the reserve currency. So um, World War II had a huge toll on the on the uh, populations of the earth. But also, as you mentioned, the shift to the dollar was was, was kind of like it's kind of got lost in the narrative. Right. No one really talks about that. And again, that was like what the fall of 1944. Henry Hazlitt has a good book on that. Um, 
I've just started on it. It's um, from Britain Woods to World Inflation, a, uh, a study of causes and consequences. And so it came out. He wrote this in uh, what well, says it came out in 2012. That's not right. It, but he he was writing for the New York Times essays, not essays, but opinion pieces. And so he went back and collected a bunch of those and put it in a book. And so uh, if you're kind of curious what was being said about Britain Woods and stuff, um, I've just started the book like three weeks ago, kind of reading through it because of some of the digital, the digital yuan stuff I'm studying. Um, it's quite fascinating. Okay. So since then, though, there's uh, the, the most clear cut example to me is we took out Gaddafi because he wanted to sell oil and gold. Uh, and we, we just straight up, we took him out. We weren't going to allow for that. We didn't want any gold being transacted for oil. Uh, Chirai, were any of the other wars that we fought, like Iraq 1 or Iraq 2, uh, specific to kind of, you know, anything to do with the enforcing the fact that the dollar was going to remain as the reserve, or were those wars over other other things? Hmm. Um, I... I... So Iraq too uh, would seem to be it'd be hard to make the connection there. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm trying to think what what else would have you know why that would have been tied up with that after Afghanistan. Iraq one, you're talking about the the end of the Soviet Union. So again, I don't see. I'm not saying it can't be in the mindset. I'm trying to think what would be the connection at those points. That's when the U.S. So after you know when we invaded uh, Iraq. Uh, well, I thought Iraq too. I, I and this is I'm not an expert on this, and sometimes. I'm not even clear on where I saw fleeting headlines, but <laughs> right. I thought there was uh, um, that Saddam was making a move uh, to not, I think, sell some of the oil directly to U.S. firms. That maybe so, it was. Yeah, uh, I mean, you, yeah. So when you look at how some of these oil deals are done, like that, that, that's what I was saying earlier. It's like oil is being sold from Venezuela to Iran via gold right now, or at least it was last year. Oil is being sold to China. So this stuff happens. Um, so you know, back in Iraq too, what what you know was Saddam trying to avert it? I, I don't know. I, I mean, to me, it seems that there's a lot of better reasons to think that they were trying to do Iraq too. Um, but the dollar could be tied up to. It. I, I I don't know. I, off the top of my head, I can't think of why that would be the premium issue. Um, because the U.S. and the Saudis are so aligned, it seems that it's it, it you know they have the Saudi support as long as they have that. They're they're pretty they're pretty good with stuff like that. It would seem. Got you. All right. So now we get to bring it full circle to the Iran situation. Uh, so I was saying, you know, for a while, Iran's under sanctions. Seems like they're not able to uh, transact or at least on the world stage, they're not being um, no one's being bold enough to go, hey, we're going to work directly with Iran. This is new that as of two weeks ago, or at least to my eye, it's new that China's like, fuck the U.S., fuck your sanctions. We need some oil. We're buying it from them directly. Now, China does this stuff. I'm pretty sure they buy coal from North Korea, but that's kind of like, hush, hush, no one talks about it. It's not in the newspaper. But this seemed to be like, no, no, no. We're buying oil from Iran, and not only we're going to buy it, we're buying it, um, we're going to buy it in our currency. Uh, and this, to me, when I saw it, I was like, dude, that seems to me like the type of stuff we usually go to war over. That seems like we do not want anyone to be able to transact oil for other currency. We don't want anyone, you know, telling us that we can't have sanctions on Iran and we don't want China working directly. Like it just seemed to me like a much bigger news story. I don't want to be Fox News over here and pretend like, <laughs> hey, we got to go. I'm not saying we need to go to war. Mm -hmm. I'm almost surprised that Fox News wasn't like going, oh, look, Biden's a pussy. And like, this is really bad. 
Yeah. So if you go back September last year, they announced an energy deal, China and Iran did. And when I was in China in 2019, I remember asking one of their um, government officials about their dealings with Iran, North Korea and Venezuela. And, you know, the standard Chinese line is that, you know, we just do what's in the best interest of China. And you know, we're not really trying to ruffle feathers now. On some level, that's true. And on some level, that's, you know, that's not true, right? So on some level, I don't think that they're calling up Iran like, hey, we're going to piss off the Americans. Let's do a deal with Iran. I think they're like, dude. No, we can get away with it. Yeah, I think I think they're like, hey, the Iranians are going to sell us oil for cheaper because it's sanctioned oil. And we can get it at a discount because the stupid Americans are, are, <laughs> are trying to screw with them. Let's go make a deal. You know, so I think that's probably how they're doing it, knowing it will upset the, the U.S. As far as the U.S. response, it's been interesting because I agree. It's like, okay, hey. The reserve currency is something that that is that is important to the U.S. Um, this is a potential threat to it. Why they're not doing more, I I tend to think, and this is just pure speculation here. I tend to think that both sides realize that we've kind of peaked as far as what we can do to each other. Like, what else can we really do with China, and what can China do to us? And so, if you look at like Taiwan, yeah, I mean. Some people think that China will eventually take over Taiwan. I, I, I don't think that's the case. I could be wrong. We'll see. Um, but because at some point, you, you do go to war, right? At some point, if you keep pushing things, you do go to war. And so with Taiwan, it's like, okay, I think Taiwan's as far as, I don't think they'll take it over because that probably, that could be war. Uh, well, if you keep, if you look at China and say, hey, you know, if you're doing this stuff with Iran, we're going to sanction you more. We're going to tariff you more. Well, well. Who, who, who's that going to impact? How's it going to hurt anybody? So I think we've kind of pegged it out. Like, what else can we really do? Uh, we, we sling arrows, we say mean stuff, and we try to sanction and blacklist and delist and all that stuff. I don't think there's there's no more cards left to play. Now, some policymaker somewhere will say there isn't a card, but is there really an effective card at this point? No, I don't, I don't think so. What do you mean? What are you going to do to them? All right. And then with the transaction now taking place um, in non, non-dollar currency, and with China, you know, with the Silk Road investment, with all of its investments in Africa, in your estimation, do you think that there? I, and firstly, take a step back. I don't think we should be the reserve currency. I don't think we should be fighting wars in order to be the reserve currency. Agreed. I also think that there's enough freedom here that, like, yes, the banks and some people in power might be really fucked if they can't spend and inflate. But if that system goes under, that doesn't mean that you, I, other people who are smart and into freedom can't live really good lives. I'm not that invested in the current United States structure. Um, but the people that are will fight wars to protect it. Uh, and I do think that this dollar reserve thing is the most important thing to them. Uh, do you think that this was a serious move that could actually affect that, you know, a move away from, from the dollar or this, you know, this is kind of not that big of a deal. No, I do agree with that. I think that this that this opens up the door for the potential to f- openly flaunt that you're challenging the dollar. And so, you know, how will it turn out? We'll see. But yeah, I do think that you, you talk about the coverage part. Like, I'm surprised that more people have not talked about, um, you know, this is kind of openly challenges the the dollar's reserve currency because if Iran's if Iran, um, if their if their economy starts to flourish, let's just say that it does for sake of argument. Well, what other governments are going to say, well, let's just go with the Chinese dollar. Like, screw trying to deal with all these U.S. dollars. Let's just go. The, and so one of the things that I, I get a little, I, I say frustrated is, is people, they say, to me, they say, so when we talk about the Federal Reserve printing money, we're like, oh, man, it's going to cause this crash and stuff and this, that, and the other. 
Well, it hasn't. And it hasn't because everyone agrees that they don't want it to, right? Like, let's be honest. If all of the big economies come out tomorrow and said, oh my God, the dollar is terrible. Like the, the, the U.S. has fallen apart. The dollar would start to crash. We've, we've pumped so much out there. The reason they don't is because we all have this mutually aligned interest. So if that mutually aligned interest begins to shift, then why would countries not move off of uh, the dollar and move to the, 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 the uh, digital yuan or, or whatever it might be? Because it would behoove them. Now, the reason they haven't moved to Bitcoin is because they can't control their population. So the reason Iran or whatever hasn't moved to some crypto that's uh, decentralized is because what happens then? Well, they can't control the population. So if you can say, well, we can figure out a way to work with China to have our currency pegged with China or trade to Chinese currency, um, and we can control our people, well, that's a win-win. So who did the U.S. help out now? Because now you have the Iranian people using a currency that can be tracked if they do go to the, uh, with the Chinese digital yuan. They can be tracked. Well, who did you help out? Now you've got people who were enslaved to the CCP. Like That seems worse. How, how did that benefit anybody? But from the Iranian leadership perspective, what do they care? Right? They just want to stay in power. They want. They like at the top. So, so yeah. I, I, I think if if you're fine with dealing with China and the problems that come with that, then this is a good avenue for you to consider. All right. And then you would send me a whole policy paper, which I actually I sat down and read. <laughs> I was like, man, I I got some real homework here. Uh, but in terms of having a conversation about uh, Iran and uh, you know current it, it being purchased directly for Juan is the way to pronounce it right i say you you want is it supposed to be that that's how ignorant i am especially it's funny when you just read and you don't really like listen and you got kind of come up with your own pronunciation um pronunciations but you sent me a whole article about the digital um yuan which creates a whole new thing where basically they seem to have the first mover advantage in terms of being a government to actually launch a digital currency. Mm. Uh, it's creepy as hell because it means that they have total control and knowledge potentially of every financial transaction by every person in China. Um, it, you know, at least with cash, you can go buy your drugs and not have anyone know about it. <laughs> right. uh, but if there's, and by the way, at least also if you've got some cash in your mattress, they do have to kick in your door to come confiscate it. Right. It's not as easy as just, you know, clicking a button and saying, well, now you don't have it anymore. Uh, but then there's also some big implications in terms of, I guess, the ability for other people to adopt it and then start challenging the dollar. So I'll let you take it from there to kind of let people know the risk and what's going on. Yeah, so I think that's the real thing. If you look at like Huawei, everyone says, well, Huawei is this big spying apparatus, 5G network that China has. And once your nation's on that, you know, the Chinese government could partner with the local government to spy on its citizens. And that seems to be a real threat from people I've talked to. There seems to be a real threat. I mean, it's just like being an AT&T here in the U.S., right? <laughs> it's, it's, right. It's a real threat. Um, and so the digital yuan is the same thing. It's, it's like, okay, hey, now you can have a currency. You can avoid the dollar. Oh, by the way, though, it's pegged to the CCP's oversight, which means, you know, if Rob's out there on his podcast, just destroying the government hmm, bank account zero, or, you know, they can, um, you know, lock it out or you know get rid of it or whatever. And so that's the real threat here is that, that who is going to take this? Well, governments aid that are totalitarian, we consider working like this, right? So the Iranians, potentially North Koreans, potentially, um, other nefarious regimes would consider this because from their perspective, if they can do it and control their people, that's a win-win. So I think that's the real threat. I don't think the Brits are going to go to the, to this currency tomorrow because they don't seem to have that type of government. Um, but at some point, if you have enough, you know, um, slippage, then you could see people like, I don't need the dollar anymore. I trade in this. 
ultimately, Rob, here, here's what I think. I think that between now and 2100, the map will be reshaped from the bottom up. And if you look from you know 1900 to 2000, the map was shaped from the top down, right? World War One, World War Two, North Korea, Vietnam, all these proxy wars we fought. Those were top-down type wars. I think moving forward, we're going to see the map reshaped from the top up. I don't know if that means it's going to be redrawn as drastically as we saw in some of the uh, post-war era, but I think that as these type of policies roll out and you see the pressure on the reserve currency, the dollar, um, the digital yuan, I think people are going to go, wait, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. I had $100,000 for a bank account, and now I can't use it. No, 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 no. Screw this. We're not taking this anymore. And so I think at some point we will see these things that um, that are oppressive in nature ultimately fight the resistance of the populist let's do the term populist movement, uh, because people will become aware of what's going on. Right now, they're not. And right now, they're kind of um, underexposed to what the threats are. And so you could see this happening in you know the middle, some Middle Eastern countries, North Korea, some African countries potentially, um, maybe some uh, South American countries. It could be a threat to the dollar. In the long run, though, I'm pretty, I think that people will eventually say, screw this, we're not going to take it. All right. Uh, and before I move on from China, because there are some, uh, we're going to do a quick run through of some other geopolitical things I've been seeing uh, going on around the globe. Uh, <laughs> and I know you work over uh, with the with the Bushes. They want to go to war on any, everything. So you would have the inside scoop on just how much of a threat these activities are. Um, any closing words on China, things that we should be aware of? Uh, and I'll actually, I'll, I'll lead the question a little bit. One of the things that's interesting about China to me, you and I both were free market libertarians. I think open board, like let's trade. It's all good. Mm -hmm. However, sometimes you see what's going on with China and you're like, did they steal so much intellectual property or is the currency manipulation so bad where we've actually empowered who could be a giant enemy of us in a way that maybe wasn't that smart? Maybe, maybe we should have taken this approach where we're like, listen, we've got the best economy here. We're going to buy American goods. We're going to transact with ourselves. We've got no reason for these people on the other side of the world. It's bad news for us. Um, so to your eye, I mean, firstly, I'll let you debunk that. But are there any other China risks that you think uh, listeners should be aware of? I think the you know the China stuff is when you go back and look, when U.S. country companies started going to China, um, and as they've been there, if you listen to any honest person who's worked in China, they'll tell you that there's forced, not stolen, Force technology swaps, right? So what does that mean? It means that when you go to China, it's like, okay, hey, listen, um, you know, I have this idea. Uh, and it's like, well, you guys share with the Chinese to get access to this cheap labor. It's like, oh, well, you can make $100 million. It's like, eh, okay, let's do it. And so they have stolen technology. I don't want to deny that. But a lot of what they got was given to them. Now, why did these companies go to China? The labor was cheaper. Why is the labor cheaper? I mean, all of our libertarian answers, all of our libertarian friends know I mean, that. U.S. Answer, right? laws, U.S. laws, labor laws more than anything. Right. And it's so you look at that, you say, so the, I, I, you got to be careful here because it sounds like on one hand, you're overly defending the Chinese and you're and I don't want to do that. And I'm just trying to say that there's plenty of fault on the U.S. side. If you read Michael Pillsbury's book, The 100 Year Marathon, he talks about how we encourage, I think it was Raytheon, to sell them torpedoes or missiles during the Cold War because we thought they were better allies than the Russians. Well, guess what? That turned out. So a lot of China's moving up in the world has come because our government's enabled it, not because the free market's enabled it. Um, if anything, the free market did help potentially bring them to a point to where they have brought 
Um, the number is four to seven hundred million, four to seven hundred million people out of poverty, um, extreme poverty over the last forty years, like from the rice field to Beijing. It's incredible. Kudos, that's great. The the last eight years under Xi Jinping has really taken a, a toll, uh, to turn for the worse, if you will, where they've kind of cracked back down. My personal take is Xi Jinping realizes the threat of what's happening. People are getting too rich. They're getting too comfortable. They're going to want more. So he's trying to rein that in by putting the grips back on them. Well, how do you fight that? You fight that by giving them opportunity to make money, to experience freedom, to experience growth. Um, so I think that most of the Chinese threats, now there's cyber attacks and stuff from a military standpoint, we don't want to get into because that's kind of convoluted stuff because uh, you kind of got government to government action there. But from my perspective, it's let's encourage trade between the countries. Don't force it. Don't make people do it, but let's encourage it. And oh, by the way, if you want to talk about politics as a business owner, then do it. Talk about the voting law in Georgia and talk about the Uyghurs in, in Xinjiang. If you don't want to talk about it, then don't talk about it. I, I don't really care. But what we can't have is this kind of mixed messaging from U.S. companies like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, Rob, did you see the local bill here? Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah, we've got Uyghur slaves in China making cotton for us. Don't, 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 like, don't worry about that, though. And, and like that's, that's what muddies the water for so many people. It's like, well, hold on. How do we figure this out? Because you guys are doing this over here. So uh, if, you, if you worry about the currency manipulation, well, what's the answer to that? Don't, don't inflate our currency. Make our currency strong. Quit printing dollars. If you quit printing dollars, we will crush their currency. If you're worried about them working with Iran, how do you fix that? You work with Iran. Like these are all very simple libertarian principles. Bad people do bad things. What will they do? I have no idea. You don't either. The best way to ensure our security is to make people wealthy because wealthy people don't want to go fight. They want someone else to go fight. And we got a lot of history to prove that to us. So let's make everybody wealthy. That's all I'm saying. All right. Last China question. Uh, do you think, is there any route for China where it becomes freer? Because it, it's interesting. Yes. I guess there was an arc with technology where it seemed like, hey, with the internet and with wealth, it's like we're, we're, we're taking back power. But then it seems like power figured out how to then use technology to like monitor us in a more creepy way that like, you know what I mean? It's like we, we kind of went over this. It, it feels like we've gone over a little bit of a, a turn in the wheel for the negative where we were on the up arc towards freedom mm -hmm. because of new technology. And then governments kind of figured out how to turn it back of us. And we're a little bit on the downturn here. Yeah. No. <laughs> Talk about the U S not China, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm both. I, no, I mean, I'm, I know, so, I I'm yeah. not, I'm not as aware with China politics, but it does seem with like that, yeah. whatever that new social currency system and all of their, you know, video monitoring and all that other stuff. It, yeah. it seems. Yeah. Yeah, so there's one point, what, four billion people in China. And I think Americans, we should have learned this lesson in Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria and everywhere else, that not everyone wants a Western-style democracy. Okay, so we have to understand that. I'm not saying that the Chinese people want a Western-style democracy. Again, from their perspective, four to seven hundred million people, that's larger than our, than our um, country's population, came out of extreme poverty and are living good, comfortable lives now. Whatever you want to say about communism or socialism, and I'm not trying to defend it. It's just what happened. We can talk about the reasons it happened. It doesn't matter from their perspective. It happened. So the, the, they want to keep that. Like, that's good for them. Their grandparents were, were starving to death in the rice farms, and now they're living a good life. So do they want to live like we live? Probably not. Maybe one day. Um, I think what's happened is that Xi Jinping has realized 
that if you're not careful, these ideas will get into your society. And when these ideas get into your society, the ability for the government to control you slips. Look at Hong Kong. If you go look at some of Hong Kong supporters, they're Bernie Sanders supporters in the U.S. They're not Trump guys. Some of them are, but some of them are Bernie folk. And like for us, that's like way over there. So it's not as if these Hong Kong um, demonstrators were all like free market Austrian economists. You know, they just wanted freedom relative to where it was. And that was too big of a threat. So I really believe that Xi Jinping and the CCP is concerned. I think Iran's concerned. Uh, Myanmar is concerned. North Korea is concerned. They're concerned about the conversation that me and you are having right now. Because this is what is a threat to them. This idea. It doesn't mean that everyone in China has to agree with this. It's just talking about stuff. That's what they don't want. So that's why they have to censor stuff. And so they saw this opportunity and all of a sudden big tech came along and all of a sudden you could access stuff and you can get books and you can get ideas and you can learn. It's like, Ooh, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. We don't want that out there. That's scary. So they're clamping down, but they can't clamp down forever. Technology. The thing about hackers is, is that they, you know, uh, I'm still here. My camera just cut off. I'm oh, still, okay. oh, sorry. It gets hot from sometimes, but, um, uh, the thing about technology is and hackers is like they're always looking for a way to get around the firewall, right? Right. <laughs> so, so they will find they find ways around the Chinese firewall and people get ideas. And we've had a few glimpses recently. Clubhouse, there was a, a um, uh, maybe two months ago, there was a few Chinese clubhouses that popped up and people started talking about the problems with their government and stuff like that. Of course, China blocked the app. Boom. Um, recently, some of the, the Nike and other companies have gotten in trouble for their comments about the, the cotton from Xinjiang. Not the worst comments in the world, but from the Chinese government standpoint, well, guess what? The early reports are is that people are still buying Nike products. Now, does that mean everyone wants to be a free market economist, uh, econ a free market person like me and you and buy Nikes and all that stuff? No, but they, they, they do understand that they still like their Nikes. Well, that's good for Americans. So let's take this and understand that the CCP is going to crack down because they have to crack down to keep their power. They have to. They have no other option. Um, why do you think our big tech lords are cracking down? Our government's cracking down. It's the same thing. So to me, it's it's that's how I see it. North Korea is probably the greatest example. They don't let anything in, best they can, right? Right. And, and why don't they? Because if if the North Korean people actually understood how the world worked, would Kim Jong-un be in power? No. No. And so so China is like, okay, they I, I think from their standpoint, they probably feel like they let they let the genie out of the bottle too much. And so they're trying to get it back in. Um, it's probably, I think it's too late for them. I think technology will overcome them. Um, I'm not saying that, that the, the Chinese people want to have a Western style democracy, but I do think that they realize it's a threat and Western commentators look at it and go, Oh wow, they're oppressive. They're bad. They are, but they're trying to stay in power. People in power want to stay in power. Like that's a simple rule. Me, uh, me and you both know that Trump lost the election. What do you spend the next few months doing? Trying to stay in power. Biden, he's going to stay in power until they kick him out. Com uh, you know, who, whomever. So those are just general principles that I operate off of, no matter what the country is. All right. So the last thing to take a look at is um, whatever the hell is going on with Russia and Ukraine. <laughs> Russia looks like, or there's chatter. <clears throat> They're building up on the border. They want to get in there. I think it's a play over lithium from what I hear, but I'm not that good with my geopolitics. So uh, can you give us the insight on what's actually going on with Russia right now? I haven't looked at the Russian-Ukraine story in depth, so I don't want to speak. I do know that uh, my general take on all things Russia is it's usually overhyped. So, and I, I don't want to say that uh, kind of flippantly, but, um, you know, Russia 
is if you look at the superpowers in the world today, I mean, so you got the U.S., if you want to call it China number two, but where, where is Russia at on that ranking from your perspective? Oh, that's such a fun little question because you'd like to think it's in the number three spot, but I no. once heard that their economy is like the size of just New York's. Yeah. So, I mean, you got to figure you've got England's got to be up there. Right. You've got all of Europe. So maybe the seven or eight spot. Right. They're, they're pretty low down there, all things considered. So, yeah, they can pick on the Ukraine potentially. And, you know, the Ukraine's got its own corruption issues. Um, so, yeah, I don't know about the about the lithium issues. I, I can't I can't speak to that. It's uh, but most of the Russia stuff to me seems it seems like we're still fighting the Cold War. And I don't I don't understand why. Oh, that's so interesting, because also if you look at it like what you were saying with the people in power want to stay in power, mm -hmm. Putin's doing pretty good. He's by, probably the wealthiest person in the world, from what I understand. Uh, on paper, I think, uh, I mean, you've got your American tech billionaires. Uh, off paper, you probably got your Saudi Arabian uh, <laughs> like princes. Right. And then off, off paper, you got Putin, who, uh, from what I understand, might be worth uh, like as much as a trillion dollars. So it, it could be like, I, I guess on the one side of it that like he's got actually has a pretty good deal going and he doesn't want to rock the boat that much. Or um, from what I understand, when they took over Crimea, it was over basically nat, nat gas that like um, there's hundreds of millions of dollars in natural gas and whatever the body of water that that's next to. And so that that was a really good play. And then I also heard of Syria. It was really all about port access. So it could be that he's kind of good at picking his battles of where the weak players here, like almost like almost risk back in the day. It's like, what can I easily take here that no one's going to give me that much shit about? Uh, and maybe the Ukraine thing, there's enough chaos going on in the world that he can just play it off as, hey, NATO's over here. or These people actually really wanted to be a part of Russia. Or this always was a part of Russia. And that there are like some very particular assets that would be worthwhile um, or as you're describing it, it could be that, you know, it's just the propaganda machine. They're looking for a story and the Russia thing has been around for a long time. Like even in Hollywood, you know, the Marvel movies, they're still going with fucking Russia storylines. <laughs> they don't really have anything new to spin. So, um, well, you remember the story last year when, um, there was an intelligence report that the Russians were trying to kill our soldiers in Afghanistan. Oh yeah. That was bogus. So me and you both agree that people getting killed is bad, right? Right. But we also agree that when you're in war, people are going to try to kill you, right? Yes. Yeah, that's and, fair. But you would have thought the way that story was portrayed was like the Russians were violating some long sworn oath of not killing someone in war. It's like, I'm not trying to say that it is good. It was, you know, killing people is bad. It's terrible. But they're soldiers at war. Like, this is what this is why we shouldn't have them over there. Potentially, which would be the better response. Well, wasn't the story that Russia was was paying for was paying for yeah. U.S. kills? Yeah, that's what it was. They're paying for right, and so your argument is well, you're over there as part of war. Um, but I guess the the counter argument would be that well, Russia's getting involved. Like, why are they uh, like they're they're making us their enemy if they're specifically paying for U.S. deaths? Right. Yeah, and so but it turned out to be false, anyways. Yeah, I, well, I didn't know. I knew it, it was, was obviously overreported because it was Russia, and that was kind of my, my main point was that it right. was like, hey, some random intelligence report. And I, I never remember where there was a big debate over whether Trump saw it or who issued it or it wasn't confirmed and all this nonsense. But it's like, guys, if if a report came out that someone was trying to kill our soldiers, another country, like that's, I'm not saying it's good. I'm not trying to condone it, but we have to understand that when you put soldiers in a foreign country, 
that someone else might try to kill them. Like that's that's the right, problem. The point of war. And so, but we saw that story because it was Russia. If it would have been Turkmenistan, do you think it would have made the headline news? I don't even know that Turkmenistan was a country. <laughs> I mean, or Uzbekistan or Kazakhstan or any of those. Would it, would it even one of the stands? If yeah, one of the stands had got involved. Yes, it wouldn't even made a headline story because it was Russia. That's the whole thing. Because it was Russia, it made this big story. It's like, okay, yeah, that's bad. I agree. Um, but, you know, it's they're at war and they're soldiers and we don't want them to die. And okay, I'm, I'm all there. Let's bring them home. Let's just do that. But, oh, by the way, if you leave them there, you might piss off the wrong people and they might try to do this to you. And so, but it was Russia. And so that's the whole thing. It was just Russia. And so we have this hysteria with Russia. And so Trump, one of the things I liked about Trump was, um, is that he would talk about, you know, our involvement in Europe and how the Europeans would whine about Russia and then they'd want our money to defend them. And I've never understood that because yeah, he, he was right to point that out. But you look at Germany, you know, when Trump pulled out troops last year, yeah, last year, um, they're like all these all these foreign policy experts like, oh my God, this is the worst. You know, how are we gonna handle this? What's gonna happen? Oh, by the way, they're permit they're permitting the pipeline from Russia to give them natural gas. It's like, well, <laughs> you guys obviously aren't too worried about Russia. You're allowing your economy and your your civilization to thrive off of their energy. So right. if you're really scared of them, then don't buy you know, it's like going, it's like it'd be like you call me up and saying, Hey man, I just struck a deal to buy salamis from the mob. Um, but here's what I want. I want you to protect me from the mob. I'd be like, did they force you to buy them? Like, no, right, right. It's almost like, yeah, you're trying to get the leverage back because you like, you don't want to, that, that, that's a, that's a fascinating example. Cause if I'm buying shit from the mob, I've chosen to, I've chose to interact yeah, with the you mob. You, you call them up. You're like, Hey, right. Guido, give me, right. but, but then suddenly I'm, I'm concerned. Cause I'm like, fuck now I, I got to go meet the mob every Tuesday for delivery. This is scary. Right. So yeah, I go complain to the cops or whoever, like, Hey, I'm going to need that protection. Exactly. But it's like, well, why should we have to pay for the fucking protection? You don't have to go in. You don't, you decide it's getting into business with the mob for the benefits. The cost is you got to be scared every time you go interact with them on Tuesdays. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. So, so the Russia stuff to me is, it's like, okay, we can solve some, if, if we're really scared of Russia, we can solve some of the Russian problems. It would cost Europe to buy more um, uh, natural gas uh, LNG from the U.S., of course. But you know, guess what? They don't have to worry about these big defenses. It would hurt the Russian economy potentially. So if that's what you're trying right. to and do. And so why are we, like, why am I spending my money so you can purchase something from them for cheaper? Like, right. you can buy it for me. Right. Uh, yeah, that, good point by Trump. Let's get him back in office. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, well, and so he would point out stuff like that. And I thought that was, um, I thought, uh, you know, his China stuff I thought wasn't as good, but I thought he would point out stuff like that that was interesting um, that, that a lot of people don't want to say. But if you just read and kind of follow the stories like you, know, like you do, a lot, a lot of your listeners do, you'll see this double talk all over the world. And it, it gets pretty frustrating because it's like, like with the China stuff, it's like, hey, hey, like right now, people are talking about boycotting the Olympics. And um, it's like, you know, I'm not, I don't care about boycotting the Olympics one way or another. Here's what I would suggest. Help, uh, not for government subsidies, but you know what? Let's do this. Let's subsidize all of our Olympic athletes a million dollars and say, guess what? We're going to subsidize you, but we're going to pay you so you can talk about whatever you want to. Because the bobsled guy doesn't have no money, right? He's not getting the big sponsorship deals. So we're going to subsidize you. So if you don't go criticize uh, China for the Uyghurs, we're going to subsidize you. You got to worry about it. You got to worry about nothing. Here you go. Because that's what China doesn't want. Like that, they, they don't want you to come to their country criticizing them. And these athletes that don't have a lot of money and are basically amateurs, um, well, they're not going to because they're afraid to lose their sponsorship deals. Well, if you really wanted to 
to put it to the Chinese where you just pay these people so they could speak about the issues that China doesn't want you to speak about. China tells you what they don't want. Like it's not, this is not, it gets very complicated at some point, but the service level, the first chess play is not very complicated from our perspective. Yeah. We almost made a crowdfund like the U S Olympic athlete fund. So then they don't need the corporate sponsorships and then they could go over there, you know, win a bunch of stuff and be like, Hey, quit killing Muslims. Well, if we pull out of the Olympics, what's going to happen? Xi Jinping is going to come out and say, hey, this is why you can't trust the Americans. This is why you can't do it. You can't deal with these people. Da, da, da. And I'm not saying that the Olympians should be forced to go say anything about China. It's up to them. But it, I could understand if you're a bobsled guy and you're making, you know, I don't know what the bobsled guys make, but, you know, 40000 a year and this is your, your one shot. You're like, <laughs> I'll get my trip paid for by Nike. I'm not going to say a word. Okay, well, I can understand that guy not want to say anything and loses loses money. So, But if he wanted to, here's your chance. China doesn't want you to talk about these things. They hate speech. They hate free speech. And so why not just talk about it? That's They would not allow this podcast in China. And we haven't said anything. We haven't said we're going to bomb them one time. That's true. All right. <laughs> let's call it there. Thank you so much for all the insights on these uh, scattered world topics. Before uh, you go, why don't you plug where everyone can find you again? Uh, just go to Twitter at Ryan Ray Sr. That's R-Y-A-N-R-A-Y-S-R. And uh, you can find me there. Beauty. Hey, man, thanks so much. That was a ton of fun. Thanks for, for, thanks for having me, Rob. All right. Have a great night, dude.